and today's gospel reading tells us how Christ was led by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by Satan in seclusion in the wilderness where all of the uh, wild beasts existed as well. Uh, we have now completed two of the eight weeks of fasting uh, of the Great Lent, and we spoke, as we spoke about last week, Great Lent is kind of like a journey, a spiritual journey, and it's encapsulating the whole spiritual life in these about eight weeks or so. And the first uh, week we talked about the commitment that we have to make to walk that journey, to walk the spiritual life, and that Christ is the goal of that journey. And then we always keep Christ in front of our eyes as the end of that goal. And then we remind ourselves that even though we fall along the journey, that Christ is there to pick us up, uh, that we should never lose hope, and that we we receive our nourishment along the journey. Like any journey, we need nourishment along the way, and we receive it from Christ Himself. We receive healing along the journey, and then as we progress after falling and rising many times, we finally see the destination ahead of us, and we arrive in that destination, which we will celebrate with the, uh, of course, Palm Sunday. But today is the second week, and today we read uh, that immediately after his baptism, uh, he goes uh, up into the mountain. Scripture says he was led by the Spirit to the wilderness, and when he was alone with the wild beasts, he was tempted by Satan. Three temptations. So Satan tempted him with three things. And the story has a lot of beneficial topics for us to explore, because we gain many useful insights when we look at the warfare that Satan wages against us. And when we look at the activity of what is called the diabolic warfare, the the, um, spiritual warfares, beginning at the first temptation of Adam and Eve, we look at the trial of Job the prophet, the temptation of Christ, we look at the trials and temptations of the church fathers, like the desert fathers, and we see that Satan and his minions, they use the same tactics and same techniques and the same tools against us. So it's it's beneficial for us to learn the, uh, the, the tools that he uses against us so we could have proper defense. So we also learn um, first that when, even though we're baptized, because immediately after Christ was baptized, he went up into uh, the wilderness and he was tempted. So immediately uh, he w- that happened. So we know that even though we are baptized Christians and we're, we're Christians, right? We're his children, uh, the children of God. We have to endure temptations of Satan and we're not going to be sheltered from uh, this diabolic warfare. In fact, uh, as we'll say many times today, this warfare is actually more against the Christian more than anyone else. What he says, and St. Uh, Peter says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings. For just like Christ was tempted, we will also be tempted. We should expect this warfare even though we are Christian and not be surprised as if some strange thing has happened to us. Satan hates us and utterly is utterly envious of us um, and envious of humanity in general because even though we're flesh, we've been elevated to something that's uh, glorious and spiritual. And though he being a spirit cannot be enjoy, and cannot enjoy that closeness that we have to God and enjoy his presence that he once had. Remember, he was a, a beautiful angel um, before he fell, and he enjoyed the presence of God, right? I mean, God's peace and joy that he can never have once again, uh, he's, God has given to us. And so he's extremely envious of that. Um, he hates humanity because he can never attain to those gifts that God has given us. 
the depth of his envy and his hatred towards us, we can't wrap our head around, but it's very deep. He hates us with a cruel and unmerciful hatred, and we fight back um, equally as well. And because of this, he puts everyone uh, at war. Like, you know, diabolic wars fight everyone. No one escapes from them, both the saint and the sinner, the beginners, the experienced, the faithful, the atheist, people of other religions. Um, but sometimes the warfare, again, like we talked about, is most fierce against the Christians who are baptized and growing in, in grace. So whenever we start a spiritual work, we know that he begins to fight against us, and especially during Lent. So those who started Lent, if you look back at the very beginning, we know that you know, some weird things start happening to us, right? Uh, some weird challenges in our life <clears throat> that he puts up against us so that we can have our attention elsewhere rather than the spiritual work that we committed to following through on. Um, but we, we say courageously with Christ that you know, he who is in us is stronger than he who is in the world, so we progress anyways. Uh, when we stand and pray, we may be vexed by thoughts and, and problems that exist in our life that are, have like, like surprisingly popped up at this time. Uh, maybe we get into a fight with someone, or maybe we have a problem at work, or maybe there's financial issues, or maybe other things that have popped up uh, that try to distract us from the spiritual life. He especially gets annoyed at fasting times, especially during Lent. We should remember that. Um, he may raise all sorts of problems during Lent and take our minds away from fasting and prayer, uh, reaching out to God and uh, when we reach out to God for the spiritual renewal that we're trying to accomplish. The warfare is not against us. It's against God himself. It's against his kingdom, against his blessed people who are his temples. So this is God's warfare with Satan and we're caught in the middle and we uh, take on this warfare because we love our Lord Jesus Christ. And we have to fight that warfare. Those who do not fight that warfare lose the warfare. But the warfare is there. The war is on. And he has waged war against humanity. And those who do not fight, they lose. Those who fight with weapons uh, such as the name of Jesus Christ and all the spiritual weapons, we conquer. And we have to fight. Just like Pope Shenouda said, None shall be crowned except the one who conquers. And no one conquers except the one who fights. We have to fight. Fighting is in our nature as Christians, right? The spiritual fight, of course. Uh, he will fight us to the last breath, to our last breath, and we must fight back. There was a story of one desert father um, who was a very old man, and he was about to die on his deathbed, and he saw a demon standing next to the window. So he got up with a lot of struggle off of, out of his bed. He held his cane, and he shook his cane at, uh, at the demon, and he said, Don't you think I'm ready to fight? I'm ready to fight. Here I am. Like, even as an old man, he was ready to fight uh, even to his last breath. So because we know this warfare is normal and the cost of doing business as Christians, if you want to call it that, we shouldn't be surprised and we should be prepared so that we can have victory in Christ. The second thing we learn that temptations from um, Satan can be very beneficial towards us. God allows these temptations to befall even the faithful, even those who are very advanced in spirituality. Um, because it could be beneficial to us. First of all, it teaches us the most important hum uh, virtue in Christianity, the one that allows all of the virtues to kind of come into our life, which is humility. It teaches us that we have to immediately and always call upon God to help us. We have to feel that He is um, our source of stability and mercy, 
and, and love, and we stand by His mercy and love. We don't stand by anything of our own power. So God allows these kind of trials and temptations to happen so that we can learn that we stand by God's mercy. We don't stand by our own power. Um, sometimes this lesson, unfortunately, is only learned except when we fall, right? We don't learn this lesson easily sometimes because of our pride, but we learn it nonetheless that we know that we don't, we don't um, stand except by God's mercy and by His grace. Second, it teaches us always to cleave to God and to hold, uh, hold fast to our relationship with God. We, mo we must always lean on Christ in everything, and when one is at rest and without warfare, uh, he may not call upon that design, divine assistance, right? We always have to call upon that divine assistance. And when we're feeling at rest, sometimes uh, we don't call upon God. But those are, who are at war are always awake and always ready. Uh, this warfare gives experience to the Christian. And experience is very valuable, spiritual experience. The person becomes practiced in fighting, practiced in warfare, and learns very quickly the trickeries of the enemy. And he uh, understands the, the cruelty of the enemy. So we always become stronger in Christ through such experiences. That person can also help others too. So when we become experienced, we can help our children and we can help those around us as well. One of the Desert Fathers, uh, Abba Mateus, for example, learned some really good insights on the, the spiritual and diabolic warfares. He says, Satan does not know how the passion of the soul may be conquered. When he approaches you, he doesn't know if he's going to be successful or, or if he's going to be a failure, but he tries nonetheless. He sows like he plants, not knowing whether he will reap its fruit, but with thoughts, of, for example, of fornication, of slander, and of all the passions towards which he sees the soul inclined. He fights against it, and then he enslaves it. So, like for example, if you're backstabbed, he'll throw thoughts in, in your mind to backstab back. He doesn't know if you're going to do it or not. The victory or the failure hasn't been shown yet. He can't tell the future. But he sows within you those kind of things, and he sees what will happen. And we see that today in Christ, in the temptation of Christ. He sows three things in, in front of Christ. And of course, Christ was victorious on our behalf. And we'll get into that in a little bit. So Satan knows these things, right? He knows how to do that because he's got thousands and thousands of years of experience uh, dealing with humanity. So he's, he's getting better and better at, at trying to make us fall. But nevertheless, he doesn't know how you're going to react. So... The victory lies with you calling upon Christ to help you. We also learn from experiencing and clear demonstration with patience, of course, that he who is inside of us is stronger than he who is in the world. So we gain insights onto the power, not just of Satan, but the greater and much more immeasurable power of our Lord Jesus Christ inside of us. We learn how strong we really are with him through victories. But we have to first fight. We have to struggle. And once we struggle and we're able to overcome, we learn how powerful really God is and how able He is to overcome every temptation and every power of the enemy. And that is learned through experience, of course. Fourth, the struggle itself is crowned and received. Um, you know, we receive crowns from God just through the struggle itself. The struggle has a reward by itself. The warfare is not against God, remember, it's against His kingdom. So God sees the struggle that we endure, and for His sake, He, um, he never forgets it. I mean, He never forgets any kind of struggle that we go through for His sake. 
Pope Shenouda said, uh, like we talked about, that no one is crowned except he who conquers, and no one conquers except one who fights. So we know and uh, think that the crowns are given to the uh, people who are victorious, and that's true. But it's also given to those who are wounded and those who fall many times but get back up again, as long as they have not yielded to the enemy and as long as they fight, as long as they struggle. And that struggle and that fight itself uh, has rewards. There's a story of one saint who was about to walk to go uh, commit a sin with someone else, and he was struggling and, and going back and forth, and he would take one step forward, and then he'd take another step back, and then he'd go towards it again, and then he'd take like maybe 10 steps back again. And so he was going back and forth. And then he sees an angel, and he asked the angel, what, what is he doing? The angel was riding the footsteps of the person walking away from sin. And, and so we know that, we learn from that, that the, the struggle itself, God is there present and seeing us in that struggle. And the struggle itself has rewards, not just the victory, but also the struggle and getting back up again and having faith in Him. And when God sees that struggle, He visits us, visits us with His grace and allows victory to enter into our life. Fifth, it teaches us to be awake spiritual and always on watch. When we read, for example, in the Old Testament, in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah was building the walls of Jerusalem. And while he was building the walls of Jerusalem, he encountered every source of obstacle. He, 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 in, um, he saw that the enemies were always on watch and threatening to destroy the, the walls. Even They said that when, whenever they build it just a little bit, we're going to come back and destroy the wall. And even inside of the camp, the people inside the camp were doubting and they were troubled. And Nehemiah ordered that all the people that they build with one hand, and with the other hand they hold a sword, ready to fight. They build with one hand, and in the other hand they were holding a sword, ready to fight. So we too, we should build our relationship with God on one hand, but on the same time with the other hand, spiritually of course, uh, that we have those spiritual weapons held in that other hand, and we're always ready to fight. Christ himself says, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning. Always be ready, always be awake. Uh, if we realize that there is a war, sometimes we forget, but we always keep the, the, the true fact, the truth of the matter is that we are in the middle of a war. And if you're in a war, you're always awake, you're always on guard, you're always ready to fight. As Nehemiah said, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome. Fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. Fight for yourself and fight for your family. And this is a spiritual fight that we're going through. And other such benefits too, uh, such as increasing our faith and our courage and our patience and our love for God, all these things come from that exposure of these kind of what are called diabolic warfares, right? As we saw today uh, in the reading that Christ uh, was tempted three times by Satan and he did so for our benefit. It gives us great love and kindness towards others when we see others struggling in sin. We understand the true nature of the battle, that there is no room for judging others. When someone is struggling in sin and, and stumbles, we can't judge or, or, or criticize that person too harshly because the experienced person knows that the, the wrestling and the battle and the fight is not against flesh and blood, right? As St. Paul says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So we know 
that when somebody falls, we know that they're struggling in sin. We know who our true enemies are. Even those who Satan uses to fight us directly, uh, with persecutions, for example, you'll find the martyrs and their families full of like a non-human type of forgiveness. It's beyond human reasoning how they can forgive and, and have love towards those who are killing them uh, and persecuting them. But we know the truth of the matter, right? They, we understand who our true enemy is. It's not those who persecute us or, or backstab us or, or do any kind of harm for us. We have no room to hate them because we know that the one behind all of this is Satan and his angels. And we know that he's the one who's uh, actually sowing the seeds of discord and hatred in all of humanity. So we understand the truth of the matter as Christians. And we don't have room for hate towards others. I mean, I encourage you guys, you can YouTube it. Um, some of the families of the 21 martyrs of Libya, how much love and humility and uh, forgiveness they, they have, the families, like the widows and the children and their, and their mothers uh, and their fathers, they all forgive um, uh, because of that love that they have, because they understand the true, the true uh, enemy. And we, we know that it's not these people, but the, even though they've become instruments of Satan. And so in today's gospel, we see Christ ever victorious against the three temptations that the devil makes upon all humanity. And these three temptations, each are increasing in difficulty, and they are the three basic uh, temptations that we all go through. So the first one, right, the easier one, is the, the desire to satisfy the belly, right? The first temptation is when he hungered, he tempted him with food. And he said, you know, if you're really the son of God, command this stone to be turned into bread. Just like he did with Adam and Eve, right? What was the first temptation? It was what? for? It wasn't with a shiny new car or something, right? It was... It was food, right? It was uh, just like he did with Adam and Eve. He, they, when he looked at the fruit and saw that the fruit was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree was desirable. So they looked at the tree and they saw that it was like that food was tempting for them, right? Um, but just as Adam ate, here our second Adam was victorious. And we learn from this that even in hunger or whatever we suffer, we will never fall away from the Lord. We'll always cleave uh, to our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Lord responds saying, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So then he sees, he wasn't sure if Christ was going to be victorious, because again, he didn't understand the plan or the economy of salvation yet. So he tempts now Christ with a, a little bit more difficult temptation, the desire for vainglory. So just like in the first, he begins, if you're really the Son of God, remember that um, when he was just baptized and the heavens opened up, and we heard, and Satan even heard as well, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So he goes to him immediately after during the temptation and says, if you're really the Son of God, it's as if he's saying, you're not the Son of God, God lied to you. If you are, then you'd be able to turn this rock into bread and you'd be able to throw yourself off of this pinnacle of this high spot and not be injured. Satan, of course, didn't understand what was going on yet, so he's slowly increasing the temptations. So he tries to prov provoke Christ, into um, provide, uh, provoke him saying that if you're truly the Son of God, then the angels will keep watch over you and not even allow your foot to be dashed against a stone. Our Lord responds, 
saying, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. So Christ, who walked on water, right, and who ascended up into the heaven, floating up into heaven, uh, does not show off here by throwing himself off of that high spot uh, to be tempted by vainglory, but patiently endures and is not provoked. And that's why when Satan comes to us, he tries to provoke us sometimes. And he uses our vainglory, right? Oh, that person backstabbed you, backstab him back or get revenge. And he provokes and he tries to incite that, that feeling of revenge inside of us. But we should be unmoved and, and show the stability that Christ showed. St. John Chrysostom also has a nice contemplation about this. We also learn that Satan himself, that's his business to cast people off of high spots and let them fall into pits and in abysses and, and to not let them ever uh, come up again. That's what he and his uh, minions do, right? They try to push us uh, off of these cliffs. But Christ, in contrast, wants us to be lifted up. And Christians, in contrast, want everybody else around them to be lifted up in life. And that's the difference between us and, and the instruments of Satan. Uh, you'll find others who want people's destruction. They take pleasure in people's destruction. But Christians want take pleasure in people's uplifting in life, right? Not just our own, but those around us. We rejoice when others are uplifted in their life. Because we have love for everyone. And then thirdly, Satan comes to him and now he's elevating it to the final, uh, like the, the greatest of all temptations that we suffer from, which is the desire for riches. He saves that last and greatest temptation for last. There are some, for example, who don't care about food. You, you'll, you'll know some people that aren't even Christian that, you know, they, they have no desire to eat. They're very skinny and healthy. And they, the food for them is no issue. And you'll even find others that don't really care about vainglory. They don't care what people think about them, right? Even non-Christians, right? Uh, you look at organized crime leaders, for example. They don't care about vainglory. In fact, they want to stay under the radar, right? But what do they care about more than anything is riches, right? Riches is a greater temptation than anything. We, um, So the devil tries to tempt Christ with riches, again lying to him, saying that that all belong to him. In the, gospel, in the Gospel of Luke, which we read during Matins today, he says, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. So he lied to, to, to God, right, um, to Christ, saying that the things that truly belong to God, all of nature and everything in it, which belongs to God, he said that it was delivered to him. That was a lie. So at this lie, the Lord gave a sharp response. Uh, unlike the first two responses, this one was a little sharper. He says, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only shall you serve. The, the love of riches uh, even makes people act like Satan himself, right? They become just like him, saying in similar words, when they are rich and they try to lord it over others, they say to others, All this authority and riches have been given to me. And I give it to whomever I wish, therefore worship me. You might have seen people who are rich and they try to lord it of, uh, over others. Those are the kind of people that have become just like Satan in this day. They uh, forgot about giving. They forgot about um, the care for their brothers and sisters. And instead they take on the qualities of Satan and they become his instruments. And they say his words accordingly. Finally, we learn that that Satan tries to deceive us 
with things that we already have. They, um, he tries to tempt us with things that God has given us in greater measure. Uh, we'll be, uh, for example, he tells Adam and Eve that they will be like God if they disobey God. But the truth of the matter is, they were already like God being created in his image. So they already had what, what Satan lied to them and said, you will not die, take of this tree and you will be like God. And when they took from the tree, that's when they lost being just like God. Ironically, uh, Christ makes us like himself through the following of his commandments, not the disobeying of this commandment. So that was the first lie that we fell into when, we were, uh, when Adam and Eve stumbled. So similarly, here in this case, Satan tries to tempt Christ with things he already had. So if we look at the three temptations once again. So he says, he tempts him with bread. He says, turn this stone to bread. But who is the bread of life? Christ is the bread of life. And Christ says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Satan tries to provoke Christ to arrogance by saying, lest you dash your foot against the stone. But he is the stone which the builders rejected. He uh, is that stone. Whoever falls on the stone will be broken, but on whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder in Matthew. Um, he is the chief cornerstone that the church is built on. He is that stone that the Israelites drink from, as uh, 1 Corinthians says. And then finally, Satan tries to tempt Christ with kingship, saying, uh, you will we'll make you king over all that I have. But of course, who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords? So he already has these things. So when we look at the three temptations, we realize that God has given us far more than what is uh, the, what temptation uh, can offer. Far more. And we can't even compare, actually. Um, he gives us the bread from heaven, which nourishes both our body and spirit. He gives us glory, much more than um, the, uh, the vainglory of the respect from human beings that we may receive. He gives us honors beyond comprehension, right? He gives us honor in front of the angels, in front of the saints, <coughs> even in front of Satan himself, because he wants us to be victorious in front of our enemy. And most importantly, he honors us in his presence. He allows us to even sit on his throne if we overcome. And finally, he gives us riches more valuable than gold and silver, much more. Uh, things that endure to eternity, that sparkle with glory and value. These things, when we recognize them, will be very easily for us to you know, turn away from every temptation because we know that things that God has given us are much more uh, valuable and much more fulfilling and much more pleasurable and much more joyous than the things of the world can even dare to even try to give us. But that's the lie. That's the lie that Satan tries to tempt us, saying that he has something better than what God has already given us. And we got to be careful and we have to be aware of that deception. These things we have, if we follow him diligently and receive discernment that these other things are just garbage compared to what God gives us and they pale in comparison. So may God give us the discernment not to be deceived by Satan and his temptations, but to accept the greater gifts that God has given us to whom be glory forever. Amen.